Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Should be a fairly straightforward, probably fairly short show. Uh, was a mostly uneventful week, and there's not a whole lot on the horizon, off the top of my head at least. So, should be pretty quick. Uh, before we get going any further, please th- uh, please do interact with the product a little bit. Like, comment, subscribe, share, star rating, tell a friend, anything that you can do to help. Always, always appreciated. Thank you very, very much. At the agenda for this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 64. A few other events from around the world that I might touch on briefly. Uh, and that's it. The UFC is taking a rare Saturday off this next week, so nothing really to preview. So, I mean, on the boxing side of things, you've got Javante Davis and Rolando Romero. That's going to go horribly for Romero. Like, that's one of those fights. I'm not... I understand how it gets sanctioned, but I think in the aftermath, you're kind of going to go, what were we all doing here? Uh, Javante Davis is going to do bad, bad things to him. Uh, Arslandi Lara's fight. I don't know. I mean, they're good fights if you're, like, a a more hardcore boxing fan, but I'm not going to spend too much time here on those so in fact just that's probably just mentioning them here uh yeah and then i don't think there's anything major on the mma side yeah not really anything there uh bellator doesn't have anything i I can't find anything i don't think the pfl has anything they might uh keep your eye out for the pfl they've been putting on they've had a pretty good season we'll talk a little bit more about them uh later on in the show but uh yeah it's Gonna be short, so let's jump into the review portion of this. So, UFC on ESPN Plus 64. Last night, 11 fights. That still took six or so hours. It's just hard when it's like that, man. You you know they're struggling to fill some of the airspace, and they're dragging it out, and they don't need to. Uh, But, you know, it's... They sell, I mean, they have to sell ad revenue against this stuff, so I understand that longer events are better monetary-wise, but boy, does it suck sometimes. When you have these, uh, I'm fine with, you know, uh, lighter fight cards, you know, not not quite as long. Uh, So I'm I'm perfectly okay with those, and I just wish they wouldn't take the same amount of broadcast time as a fight night with, you know, 14 fights on it. I mean, those usually run a little bit longer, but you're still looking about six hours. The difference between them winds up being a little bit negligible. It's usually less than half an hour. So, took a long time. Uh, And there were a handful of controversial decisions handed out. Start with the main event, as usual. Ketlin Vieja defeats Holly Holm via split decision. These were 48-47s. Two for Vieja uh, and one for Holm. I scored this for Holly Holm doing it live, 48-47, but I think three rounds to two for either woman is a perfectly acceptable scorecard. Uh, I think there were only a couple of rounds that were somewhat definitive. The second round for Vieira was pretty definitive. I would argue the first for Holm was was pretty definitive. Uh, Other than that, it's... (sighs) This one caused a bit of a stir, and because a lot of people thought Holly won, which is fine if you think Holly Holm won the fight. I'm not arguing with you. I think how I scored this. Um, I mean, particular rounds. I went. I think I went one, four, and five for Holm, and gave Vieira two and three. Um, either that or. Either that or I gave Vieira one and f- or I gave Vieira th- or I would have given Vieira two and four, and then Holm one three and five. I'm pretty sure I went Vieira two and three and then Holm four and five. Uh, but rounds three and four are pretty close. Uh, so if they could have got again those rounds pretty much could have gone either way in some respects. Now some of the controversy that's being stirred up here is numerical. Because, pull up the UFC stats here. Because if we kind of go by just the statistics, now the problem with this is people don't understand how these work. But, Holm, 
outstruck Vieira in total significant strikes, 96 to 85. We look at total strikes, she outlanded her 188 to 122. A lot of those were clinch strikes from Holly. Uh, Holly also had 10 minutes in change of control time. Most of this was in the clinch against the fence. And if we go round by round even, I'm... I think Holm outlands Vieira in every round. Almost every round. Okay. So again, if we go by the numbers here. Total strikes. Let's just go with total. Uh, round one. Uh, 30. Holm lands 33 of 41. Vieira 40 of 45. Again, I gave that round. Here's the thing about that. And this is one of the reasons we have to be careful about the totals here. Holly's control time in that round is 3 minutes and 36 seconds. The majority of this round is home controlling Vieira against the fence, and they're landing strikes of roughly equal value. Uh, so, again, when you factor it all in, home wins the first. Round two, uh, Vieira and home we get for total strikes 33 of 44 for home, 17 of 29 for Vieira. Vieira has one takedown and had one pretty good submission attempt. Uh, she had a, it was a kind of a standing rear naked choke, and it got pretty tight for a minute there, but Holm was able to escape. So, between value of strikes, Vieira landed better strikes in the second, and the submission attempt, Vieira gets the second. Round three, total strikes. Holm is 42 of 56, Vieira is 27 of 41, Holm has two and a half minutes of control time. The difference here comes in significant strikes, if if you look up the distinction between significant and regular. In significant strikes, Holm only landed 18 to Vieira's 23. Again, I still gave Holly the... I gave Vieira the third because I thought that Holm's control time didn't matter as much. And I thought that uh, Vieira landed a couple of very significant blows in this fight. Like uh, She rocked Holly a little bit in that one. Uh, round four... Holm, 37 of 68, total to Vieira's 23 of 51. And Holm also outlands here in significant strikes, 37 to 23. Uh, only nine seconds of credited control time for Holm. Pretty clear round for Holly Holm. Uh, I don't think Vieira landed anything truly devastating that would make up for the numerical difference. Round five. Now, that said, if you disagree with me about round four, I understand. That's a close round. Round five. Total strikes, Holm is 43 of 54 to Vieira's 15 of 24. And she had a minute and 42 seconds of control time, yet uh, Vieira just did not do a whole lot in the fifth. Uh, she kind of got shut down pretty consistently. So, again, I scored this for Holm. I don't disagree with anyone who scores it for Holm. I also don't really disagree with giving it to Vieira. If you give Vieira 2, 3, and 4... I think that's defensible, and if that's defensible, then I I don't think anyone can be really upset about the about the outcome unless you actually lost money on it, by, unless you're one of the fighters. So that's ultimately where we land. Holm thought she won. In fact, she only gave Vieira the second, which uh, again, if you're the one fighting, I understand, but I don't think that's reality. Uh. So, Vieira probably gets the next title shot. This wasn't a terribly compelling fight in practice. Here's kind of what... There's a couple of things that have come about, out after this about the scoring. And one of them is... We always get this, you know, how did the media score it versus the judges' cage side. That, you know, is always a fun little thing to occasionally look at. I mean, the media overwhelmingly... I'm using MMADecisions.com for this. The media overwhelmingly gave this to home. Two people scored it for Vieira, uh, Nick Baldwin and Jed Mishu. Then, if we go down this list here, uh, Sean Sheehan, Ben Davis, E.K.C. Layden, Steve Morocco, Steve Duncan, uh, MMA Mania, MMA Junkie. They, they, they don't have credited authors here. Uh, Tudor Latone, Caleb Sheehan, Tristan Critchfield, Jillian DeCourcy, Michael DeSantis, Ryan Frederick, Danny Segura, Daniel uh, Yanofsky. They all went 3-2 to two for home. Then Dwayne Fox of Bloody Elbow and Matthew Wells of MMA Junkie, so a few different MMA Junkie correspondents there, went 49-46 for home. So they, they agreed with Holly's scoring, I guess.
Uh, and there's a, been a couple of new, um, you know, apps and whatnot that kind of track scoring criteria, or, like fan scoring. And that pretty unanimously went to home. The thing is, none of those really matter. Uh, getting the Having the media polled relative to the actual outcome, I think, is an interesting one. Having the fan reaction is... Most fans don't know how to score fights. The UFC commentary team doesn't really know how to score fights. Uh, most members of the media are... They're more well-versed than the casual fan, but they're not deeply... Again, this will depend a little bit uh, outlet to outlet. I mean, I am certainly no expert. Right? I don't pretend to be. I am covering the event. I am not judging it purely to judge it. I am typing up what I'm seeing the whole time. I've got other things that I have to do on occasion. Like, I, I, I understand that you know, I'm not perfect about this either. But the, again, when you just pull the fans about this stuff, it becomes a popularity contest, nothing more. And that's no way to judge a fight. Now, the other thing that's kind of started rearing its head about this, and this fight in particular, I think I saw Ariel Halwani mention this. If you're in a fight like this, which is essentially a number one contender's fight, you get a lot on the line, why wouldn't you want open scoring? And... The open scoring debate is starting to, again, it's kind of making the rounds again. It's one of those things that crops up from time to time. I would love to see it tried. I really would. I would love to see some data on this about what it affects. Everyone likes it because everyone has a theory, right? Everyone has a, well, if a fighter can just coast on a lead, then they'll just make the last round really boring. Or you occasionally hear this one. I like the drama of not knowing and... Okay, but, you know, you don't really matter. You're a fan or a journalist or whatever. Like, the only the only opinions that matter in this, that actually matter, are the fighters. That That's it. The promoter, I don't even think, should have much of a say in this. Uh, you know, the do the fans enjoy it more? Or not? Unless you're turning off 50% of your audience with this and there's... I find it highly unlikely you would turn off that big a chunk of your audience doing open scoring. Uh, the fighters are the ones who matter. They're the ones literally losing half of their potential paycheck over this stuff. They're the ones whose career opportunities are affected by this. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, so if fighters are the ones who want open scoring... And I don't know if they do or don't. They're, a lot of them haven't made a lot of noise on this, I think, because the UFC is telling them all to shut up. Uh, but if they want it, then they should have it. Like, fighters get the short end of pretty much every possible stick. If letting them know where they actually stand in the overall round count is something that can benefit them, then I think they should get it. So... But that's just my opinion. Now, I, again, I would love to see this tried. Somebody, some commission or the UFC, when they go to places where they self-regulate, try it. What I mean this in all sincerity. The next time the UFC goes somewhere where they there is no athletic commission, uh, so I think they self-regulate when they're in uh, Abu Dhabi. So next time you guys go to Abu Dhabi, say we're trying open scoring. I mean, they won't because then they'd have to acknowledge, yeah, we self-regulate when we go to Abu Dhabi and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But they could, and they could legally. And I, we just need data on this. Like, does it have all these negative impacts people are worried about? It takes all the drama out of a third round. Well, maybe it lets fighters coast on the lead like they don't. Yeah. There's no real point debating all these hypotheticals because there is no evidence. For every hypothetical situation thrown out, you can argue the counter. And all and all you have is, does this make sense logically? 
does this seem like it would be real? And you can, if you can make a persuasive enough case for either side of that, you can argue it, again, persuasively. It doesn't matter until we have data. So I would love to see this tested. Does it change anything? Maybe, maybe not. Who, I mean, you would, you would logically assume that altering the conditions under which anything takes place is going to have some kind of an effect. But what kind of effect? Good, bad, or otherwise? Who knows? But I would like to see it tried. And I do think, especially if you're, again, especially if you're a fighter in a position like this, where you're fighting for a bigger fight next time, I mean, it's easy enough to say, well, then you, you know, should get a finish. Getting finishes is not easy. Also depends on you. Like, some people are better finishers than others. It's not just a skill. It, it, I mean, it is. But it's not just a skill. It's not just, I train for the finish. Sure you do. How much punching power do you have? Well, turns out not that much. Okay, so what's your plan for getting the finish? I'm going to hit him really hard. Great. How about your volume striking? Eh. You know, how's your jujitsu game? Well, my takedowns are good. My jujitsu's not so good. But boy, I'm going for the finish when you're stuck in full guard. Like, you, you're probably going to win. But... Again, getting finishes is not an easy thing, is dependent on the individual, is dependent on the individual matchup. Like, there's just gobs and gobs of variables here. It's not, it's not something that can happen in every, again, this is one of those things, like, it's one of those things that can't happen in every fight. If you thought this fight was going to be end in a finish, I don't know what to tell you. All logic indicated it was going the distance. Holm usually fights the distance. Usually. Vieira usually... I mean, I, I forget the statistic on it, but I think most women's fights go the distance. Or they go the distance more frequently than... Uh, other... Than their comparable male... Uh, it's not... And even if you look at divisions with high finishing rates, I think, uh, I think the three highest finish rates are... Bantamweight, lightweight, and heavyweight? It's heavyweight or light heavyweight. I forget the third. Or I forget whether or not it's heavyweight or light heavyweight. Uh, even then, it's never a guarantee. And sometimes the way fighters match up is like, yeah, we're going the distance. And there's not a whole lot you can do to change that. So, you know, would it be more fair to the fighters to have more complete knowledge? Yeah, I think it would. But, again, I'm not sure how much I matter in this particular discussion. I hope someone tries it. It's ultimately all I can say. I hope someone tries it. I would love to see the effects. Because then we could stop spouting nonsense and theoreticals and actually rely on data. Uh, as for what's next for Holm, I don't know. She's 40. Uh, this is a rough setback if she, ever, if she was going to think about getting back into the title picture. Uh, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. She's She's got to be closer to the end. Um, she talked a little bit about potentially wanting to go back to boxing and box Katie Taylor. Uh, look, Holm is one of the few people who, when they say I would like to go to boxing and take on, in Taylor's, in Taylor's case, an undisputed world champion, they should be taken seriously. I would still pick Katie Taylor... I mean, she's younger. Holmes a big bantamweight, though. She's big 135, which is lightweight in boxing. Holm never boxed at 135. She always boxed at maybe like 140 and 147. She might even have gone up to 154 at one point. Uh, but m she never boxed at 135. I would be somewhat interested, uh, and it would be a, much, a nice big payday for her in theory. Uh, but she can't at the moment because she's under UFC contract, so there's a lot up in the other. As for Vieira, it's probably the Pena Nunes 2 winner, depending on how that fight goes more specifically. Uh, but that was your main event. Not a great fight. Co-main event, Michelle Pereja defeats Santiago Ponzinibbio via split decision. A 29-28 either way, and then a 30-27 for Pereja. I, a 30-27 is a little rough, man. 
I thought Ponzinibbio had the second. I thought he had that without too much controversy. Uh, that said, I mean, the media was pretty split on this one. Uh, I think 29-28 either way is a perfectly defensible score. Again, you've got round one going to Pieja. Uh, round two going... Hold on. Only one judge. Only the dissenting judge officially gave Ponzinibbio the second. The other two gave Pons... Uh, the, the other one, Mike Bell, gave Ponzinibbio the third. I mean, rounds two and three are both very competitive, uh, very action-oriented fights, uh, rounds. So. Uh, this was a good fight. This was your fight of the night. These two brought it. 29-28, uh, either way, I can live with. I'm not I'm not losing my mind over that one. Uh, nice body attacks from Pereja. He, uh, he was stabbing some gnarly front kicks. He hurt... I don't think he realized how much he hurt Ponzinibbio a couple of times with those. Ponzinibbio was not liking the bodywork. Second and third round, Ponzinibbio does a better job of navigating through kicking range, kind of forcing more of a brawl. Uh, good fight, man. Really good fight. A big win for Pereja. Um, should get him into the top 15. Uh, I don't know who he fights next, but it should be another ranked opponent. Uh, he... He seems to have found himself in some real ways, and he's a big welterweight, man. Ponzinibbio is not a small welterweight at all, and Pereja dwarfed him. Uh, he's a big guy. Let's see, middleweight, oh boy. Chidi Njikwani defeats Dushko Todorovic via elbow knockout, 448 of the first round. This was beautiful. Uh, they were clinched up, and... Njikwani kind of changed the angle just a little bit. Todorovic looked like he was kind of trying to pull away, and he just folds over this right elbow from hell. Just bam. Drops him immediately. Um, Njikwani might be a real problem for middleweight. Now, he's Todorovic used more of a grappling game plan here, but he's not a... He's not a terribly strong wrestler the way some others are, so I'm curious how Njikwani will deal with that. But Njikwani has some good knees and elbows in the clinch, both of which he showed off here. At distance, he's a very dangerous striker. Uh, he's a handful. He's a real handful. This was a good win for him. Uh, women's strawweight, Tabitha Ricci defeated Poliana Viana via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Uh, I think I gave this to Viana live, but I don't care. This fight sucked. Um, anytime they were on the feet, Viana was getting generally getting the better of it. Then she'd get taken down, and then Ricci would kind of hang out in full guard. And we'd kind of stall out there, and then Ricci would stand over her, and they'd trade kicks to the legs, and then Ricci would go back into the guard, and just... Uh, not a great fight. Uh, yeah, not a great fight. And kicking off the main card, another controversial decision here, Junyong Park defeated Eric Anders via split decision. 29-28 across the board. The round in dispute, I believe, is the second. Uh, because I'm relatively confident... Uh, apparently the first two rounds... Officially... Officially, uh, Mike Bell went Anders 1 and 2. Saldomato went uh, Park 2 and 3. And Anthony Manus went Park 1 and 2. So, okay, here's how I saw it. Round 1 was Parks. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Reverse that. I thought round 1 was... Uh, round one was Anders, clearly. Round two, I thought was was going to be the swing round, and I thought round three was Parks. Um, Anders, 
Anders was a little bit behind the eight ball in the third round for most of that round. Uh, we're all over the place on that one. Uh, as far as the media goes, all but two gave it to Anders. So, I think if we... Again, my take on this is that it should come down to the second. With... I don't know how round one went to park. Um... He got controlled for a fair bit in that round, and not just controlled in the kind of do-nothing-with-it. Like, he was on the wrong end of, I think, most of the stuff in that round. Um, eh. Yeah, qualitatively rather than quantitative, he was. Round three was Parks, I think, by any reasonable measure. That's why that one judge giving Anders the third makes no sense to me. Uh, so, you know, if we kind of go by the numbers here, round one, Park outstrikes Anders in both significant and total strikes. Um, significant 25 to 16, total 26 to 22. Anders does have a takedown in the first, and he has two and a half minutes of total control time. And I think he landed the better shots in the first. Round two, uh, Park again outlands Anders. Uh, total 33 to 22, significant 31 to 16. Anders only has a minute and 36 seconds of control time that round. And that's kind of what I thought the difference was. Um, his control in that round and his clinch work didn't amount to anything. This was a lot of wall install. And I thought Park's overall co uh, contributions to the round were better. Round three, again, Park outstrikes. Uh, Anders gets 30-ish seconds of control time. 0 for 12 on takedowns. Some of those weren't real takedown attempts, but... Yeah, round three should have been Parks. So, it, it tends to hinge on the second round. And I can see the argument either way. I went for Park because I don't think Anders did enough with his control to outweigh the effective striking that Park, uh, that Park did. And in theory, there's not really amount of a control time that should be able to make up for an effective striking differential because of how the criteria is supposed to be weighted, but we all know that's not true. Uh, we all know that's not true in practice. So, if you did score this for Anders, I'm not up in arms over it. I think, I think it's a defensible scorecard. I scored it for Park, so my estimation, he's the he was the rightful winner. That was the main card. Is for the prelims. The prelims had a lot of action. Uh, Joseph Holmes defeats Alan Amadovsky via rear naked choke 104 of the first. Uh, Holmes looked really slick here. Uh, he looked real slick. He did not look great in his debut. I got this one wrong prediction-wise because he just was very not great in his debut. But he's got some skills. Uh, he's got some real skills. And if this is more what he, if this is more the form he's able to build from, uh, yeah, he he's got some potential. Let's see. Next up at heavyweight, uh, Gilton Almeida defeats Parker Porter via rear naked choke 435 of the first. I picked Porter here because I thought the size disparity would be too much for Almeida to overcome, and you did see that play out a little bit. Um, I mean, Porter was 40-some-odd pounds heavier, probably more than that. Almeida's a big guy for light heavyweight, though. He's like 6'3". Uh, well, he's a big guy. Porter's a short heavyweight. Uh, Almeida struggled to get a takedown. Now, once he did, he had good control. He had pretty solid ground and pounding. Again, he forced Porter to give up the back. Got the chokes. Perfectly legitimate win. But I... I don't think he should stay at heavyweight. Uh, I think he'd struggle a lot against the bigger guys there, especially the ones who can actually stop a takedown. But Almeida is very legitimate. Uh, that guy's a real handful. He's a he's someone to pay attention to at light heavyweight. Uh, lightweight, Erdos Medic defeats uh, Omar Morales via TKO, punches uh, 305 of the second. Medic finally kind of got Morales... They... Um, Medich was southpaw. In the second round, he finally kind of started timing that left hand, and he started dropping bombs on Morales, and 
dropped him three times in pretty rapid succession. Uh, I, I know Morales wasn't thrilled with the stoppage, but you get dropped three times that close together. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, solid win for Medic. Uh, he's another guy who might be able to make some waves at lightweight. Uh, bantamweight, Jonathan Martinez defeated Vince Morales for unanimous decision. 30-27s across the board. Martinez landed some hellacious calf kicks. Uh, Morales' left shin, like, in the middle of the first round, started developing this giant knot. Uh, yeah, Martinez is legit. He's got a lot of skills. Um, he's struggled a bit to kind of put everything together. And he's not as good when the fight kind of breaks down. He really likes it to be technical. And people have been able to force him out of that game plan in the past. But if he's been, if he's able to kind of really bring all of the all the elements of his game together, he's a very, very good bantamweight. He got a good win. Featherweights. Chase Hooper defeated Felipe Colares via TKO. Uh, punches on the mat. Punches on the elbows, really. Uh, three minutes of the third round. These two had some really fun scrambles. If you like scrambly uh, grappling exchanges, this fight will not disappoint you. Uh, they had some really fun stuff. Hooper, he seems to be filling out physically a little bit. Uh, I think it was Cub Swanson who said, you know, once Chase Hooper gets his man strength instead of his boy strength, he's going to be a real problem. I think he's correct. Now, there's still, there's still a lot of stuff for Hooper to iron out, but he's very young. Uh, he's only like 22, I think. Double check that. Yeah, he's 22. Uh, he's got plenty of time to sort to sort this stuff out. There again, there are st there are still things he needs to iron out, and that that's okay to say that. Uh, his takedown game is still not great. If he he doesn't get a lot of drive on his double legs, he makes contact and then kind of stops. Uh, he's a bit willing to pull guard, which will get him in trouble against a better level of opposition. His striking is. A work in progress, which, again, that's not a bad thing as long as it continues to make progress. We're good. And it has. It's better now than it was in his previous couple of UFC fights. So as long as he continues working on that, uh, he's there's a fair amount of ability there. And kicking everything off, Sam Hughes defeated Elise Reed via TKO, punches and elbows, 352 of the third. Uh, Reed was doing good on the feet, but she really struggled to get out from under Sam Hughes anytime she was taken down. Fair stoppage. Uh, nice to see Sam Hughes kind of figuring out what she wants to do as a fighter. You know, Daniel Cormier, I think, brought this up on the broadcast. Like, finding out how you like to fight and how you win consistently is a bit of a journey in and of itself. There are some very talented fighters who took a while to figure out, oh, this is what I'm good at. You know, my path to victory more often than not is going to be X. And if Hughes is figuring out that, eh, I'm physically strong, I've got good top pressure, that's how I'm going to win fights, she could be a problem. There's not a tremendous amount of very strong wrestlers in the women's divisions overall. It was one of the things that made Tatiana Suarez stand out so much. Like, that, that woman could wrestle. If Hughes is able to take that approach, it could benefit her tremendously. Uh, wasn't a bad fight, bit one-sided. Uh, I think I actually gave Hughes a 10-8 second, which might have been a touch generous, but uh, I think it was defensible. Uh, that was the event. Your bonuses, again, fight of the night was Michelle Pereja and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Performances went to Chidi and Jaquani and Chase Hooper. Can't really argue against that again, um, if I were to. Uh, I think personally, I might have gone. I might have gone um, either Holmes or Medich over Hooper, but uh, that I'm. This is not one of those cases where I think those guys got screwed or done dirty. Uh, Hooper's performance was certainly noteworthy, so no issues with those. 
Uh, yeah, briefly, before I move on to news, some other stuff from around the combat sports world. Um, what do you guys care about? There was the Eagle FC event. Uh, that was notable, partially for Junior Dos Santos doing a good job beating up Jorgen Castro and then throwing his shoulder out. That poor guy. He was... He looked pretty darn good. Until the injury. Um... The other fight on that card that I thought was interesting. I mean, there was the hilariousness of Hector Lombard and Tiago Silva fighting to a no contest because, of course. Um, Ahmed Aliyev. That guy had a rough run in PFL, and he got the wrong end of some. Uh, get the wrong end of some decisions. I kind of thought he should have won. He knocked out Daryl Horcher in 30 seconds. Uh, somewhat ditto for Maki Patolo, uh, who got a win at middleweight. Uh, nice to see those guys. Um, forgot they cut Andrew Sanchez. Which is kind of fair. I mean, he got a win here, but he, he did not materialize in the UFC. He might fight, be able to fight his way back, but... Um, yeah, Roosevelt Roberts. There's a, I, I kind of like that Eagle FC is looking to make itself a landing place. Uh, it's nice to have another spot for people cut from the UFC to be able to go and kind of try to rebuild themselves. Uh, Roberts had a rough run through the UFC. Uh, I mean, he had some really standout performances. He also had some rough losses. Uh, he might, I tend to think he got to the UFC a bit too early. I mean, he was there in his seventh professional fight. And that just, I don't know how much of a favor that does most fighters. You'll find guys who can make that work. But they're the exception, not the rule. So nice to see him get a win. I think he'll be able to fight his way back to the UFC at some point, uh, but take him a little bit of time uh and in the boxing world we had uh anderson silva at the age of 47 get a win in his i think it was, it was called an exhibition it's called a brutal knockdown in that round did silva you know watching silva box at his age just makes me more a little more retroactively annoyed that the UFC weren't wasn't able to kind of let him box when he was in his physical when he was in the UFC. I get that you know the entire sport was in a different place. The acrimony between boxing and MMA was nearly at its friend at its peak during that time period. But man, he's one of the few who I think could have done something with it. World champion might have been probably a little bit of a bridge too far, but he could have. He would not have embarrassed himself. Uh, in fact, his performance here has a lot of people going, and I'm going to throw my hat into this particular ring. I think this is correct. If Jake Paul wants another fight, um, I think Anderson Silva is a, should be a serious considerate consideration for him. Um, the other name that kind of gets thrown out there is uh, Tommy Fury. After Tommy Fury's last fight, look, if Fury was sandbagging in his last fight to make it look like Jake Paul could beat him, to try and entice Paul into accepting that fight, um, kudos, I suppose. But I've never felt that Fury... I don't, don't think Tommy Fury's all that great a boxer. I mean, look, could he beat me? Sure. Probably easily. But he's never really looked all that great in the ring. Uh, and frankly, I would favor... I've said this before. I would favor Jake Paul to beat him if they ever fought. Not if they ever fought, but if they fought next. Anderson Silva should be another name that Jake Paul gives serious consideration to. Now, that would be a very difficult fight, believe it or not. Anderson Silva is... Turns out he's a pretty good boxer. Uh... Uh, and Jake Paul seems to be, and I don't mean this unkindly, he is being careful with the fights he selects. And that's fine. 
any any boxer starting out, and that's what he's doing, should be careful of who they choose to fight. You don't, if you're a young fighter, you don't want to jump into the deep end of the pool too early, unless you're a madman, like Vasily Lomachenko, in which case you take a 300 plus amateur fights and two gold medals and go, yeah, give me a world title shot in my second or third fight. Which he should have won, apart from, uh, I think it was Salido he fought, who just cheated blatantly. So many low blows that went uncalled. Uh, but if you're... The long and the short of that is if you're looking to... You know, start out. If you're five fights into your career, and he is, you shouldn't be taking big fights with world-class talent. Like, that's not really a thing you should be doing. So, I don't know if... I don't know if he perceives Silva as maybe a bridge a little bit beyond his current abilities, but it's something he should consider. Um, It's a fight that would uh, make a bit of sense. Again, whether or not it actually happens, who knows. But Silva did well. Uh, The main event for that... That event... Uh, was supposed to happen last week. I think it was either last week or two weeks ago. I want to say last week. Uh, it was supposed to happen like on a like a helipad on top of a skyscraper in um, in Dubai. It was in the UAE somewhere. I think it was Dubai. Uh, that got it got postponed because the um, president ruler I forget the specific title. Uh, the leader of the United Arab Emirates passed away. So they bumped it back a week and they moved it from, I believe they moved it from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. Uh, main event, yeah, Floyd Mayweather just, he fought, oh, I forget who he fought. It doesn't matter, man. Floyd, even in his 40s, is a, a, a he's a wizard. Like, this is what happens when someone spends their entire life trying to perfect one skill. Floyd has been boxing his entire life. I mean, if you believe the stories, and I have no reason not to, his father would bring him in, before he could walk, was bringing him into the gym, into the boxing gym, and just getting him to hit the bags. as He, you know, he would hold him so he could hit the bags. That guy's been doing this, again, his entire life. And he's he's a marvel, man. He is an absolute marvel to watch work. Even at his age, even with everything else, and I'm not saying you have to like him personally, but you better respect the work and the skill that that man, the work that he has put in and the skill that that man possesses because you are not likely to see that again in your lifetime. Uh, All right, let's move on to news of the week. Uh, What do we got? Let's do this first. The UFC has set a date for the rematch between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. They will fight at UFC 277. Uh, They also released that card. This is set to take place at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. So, uh, currently... Bantamweight title fight, the rematch, Peña Nunes. Interim flyweight title fight between Brandon Moreno and Kai Kerr France. Uh, Derek Lewis versus Sergey Pavlovich. Magomed Ankalaya versus Anthony Smith. And Luke Rockhold versus Paulo Costa. That makes up your main card. That's not a bad pay-per-view card, but, you know, the, the people out there saying, boy, that's a stacked event. No, that's not stacked. In fact, that could go sideways on you guys in a hurry. Rockhold and Costa is, it's not a bad fight, but if you ask me how I would bet on that, like, will that be a watchable fight? Would that be my bet? Yeah, I'd bet that that that's watchable. But I'd be lying if I told you there wasn't a chance that just is wonky. I mean, Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlovich is probably going to suck. Ankolaev and Anthony Smith might Again, that might not be a great fight. It's a relevant fight to top light heavyweights. I'm not, I'm not dumping on the fight being made, but I'm, if I'm predicting, you know, 
watch value and bang for my buck, that one could go sideways on you. Um, Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. That's pretty solid. Moreno, especially, and the way Carlos uh, France has been fighting lately, that seems pretty. The chances of that sucking are very low. The main event, that's another one, man. Like that one might go very differently than you think in terms of entertainment value. Just throwing it out there. But we have that again. That will take place July 30th at the aforementioned venue. Uh, you get anything else announced? We already knew about Blades and Aspinall. I don't think we've announced anything in the as far out as August. Yeah, not really. Um, and we've got some that are kind of announced, but you know we got a few months to go before that. I think the big one that's still kind of a kind of a square, a bit of a question mark is Fight Night 208. You've seen ESPN Plus 66. It doesn't yet have a location, which leads me to think Apex. Um, it also doesn't have. It doesn't have a great main event. It doesn't have a main event announced. And of the currently announced fights, uh, the only one that I think they might be able to main event with is Neil Magny and Shavkat Rachmanov, which is a fine fight. And it's a fine fight that I would like to see over five rounds. But that's not a drawing fight. Uh, that that event has some hardcore has some hardcore gold on it. Um, but yeah, that one again for some reason it's still kind of a question mark. Uh, yeah, everything else for the immediate future is kind of laid out. Uh, yeah, the next event is June 4th, so we are taking we're taking the week off next week. After that, um, UFC on ESPN 65, headlined by Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Alexander Volkov. We'll get a full preview next week when we preview that, obviously. Um, but on paper at the moment, uh, that's not a very compelling... That is not a very compelling... Why? Sorry. This is just about my coverage. Andreas Michalides is fighting uh, Renat Fakrandinov. Tidov? Fakrandinov? I'm going to have to type one of those out. (laughs) Oh, it hurts. It just hurts. Um, Yeah, full preview of that next week, obviously, on the show here. Uh, yeah, alright, next up, okay, this might take a, I don't want to go too deep onto this, but the PFL had another round of investors, um, they got some celebrities, I think Alex Rodriguez, the former baseball player, bought in, uh, they announced that in 2023 they're going to start doing two pay-per-views a year, and when it comes to pay-per-views, they're going to do a 50-50 revenue split with their fighters. Um, I applaud the attempt. Uh, I really do. And this is, a, this is a move to try and attract people who can sell pay-per-views to their brand. Here's the problem. I'm trying to remember this. Um, I believe this is the correct statistic. No MMA event on pay-per-view that is not a UFC event has ever sold more than 100,000 pay-per-view buys. Ever. Not Golden Boy, not Strikeforce. I think Strikeforce had one or two. Not the Bellator pay-per-view events. I believe they tried one or two of those. Uh, none, none of them. Pride might have back in the day. I'd have to double check that one, but certainly since the since the UFC bought Pride, no, there has not really been a successful MMA pay-per-view that is not a UFC event. They have all been money losers. 
Now, this is largely because there's a couple of reasons for that. The biggest one is the UFC's market share. I've, I've mentioned this before, but if you count up all the money spent on MMA, whether that's advertisers, fan consumption, whatever, all money spent on mixed martial arts to consume it, in the United States, the UFC gets something like 90 cents out of every dollar. They get the vast majority of it. They have an enormous market footprint. To the point that, I mean, look, I've said this before, there's still people in 2022 who don't call it mixed martial arts, they still call it ultimate fighting. Now, that number is shrinking and has shrunk over the last handful of years, but that's a thing. I think the Fertitta brothers mentioned it. Like, I think with Lorenzo, when he mentioned, like, why did they buy it when they could have just started from scratch for a you know, maybe even less than what they paid to acquire the UFC, Lorenzo said, there's something about those three letters and that branding. Like, there's just something about it that clicks. And it clicks so well that, again, a giant chunk of the market doesn't know anything outside of the UFC. Um, I heard this brought up recently, and it, it does occur to me that it's probably true. The number of people who will watch a mid-tier UFC event, something like we had on Saturday, rather than higher quality MMA for a different promotion is pretty darn high. And that's kind of the barrier you're trying to overcome here. The hardcore fan base for MMA is very small. It is very small. And you need to be able to reach outside of that, if you, especially if you're, especially if we're going to try a pay-per-view, right? If we're going to try and sell pay-per-view, you cannot subsist on the hardcore fan base. You can't do it. It will not, there's not enough money there. There just isn't. So, they're going to have to try and overcome that. Now, the good news is anyone who is potentially looking at this as, well, I can sell and I can get a bigger revenue share, that's going to come down to a, uh, that's going to come down to specific dollars and cents, believe it or not. If you, for example, if you get a smaller, if you have, I forget what the standard pay-per-view point, uh, there's a standard one even for the UFC champions is, but say that you have their pay scale, which is you get paid from them based on how many buys the event has. Uh, and it, I forget the, and again, the numbers themselves will vary kind of from contract to contract. Or I can get a greater chunk of what the total revenue is you can get a bigger percentage of a smaller number and wind up losing. Now, that's not going to be the case for every fighter, and for some fighters, it might be more financially viable to do that, to go to do something like the PFLs thing. And, okay, I'm not going to... I may not make as much money strictly on my contract, but when I factor in the revenue split, after we reach a certain point, it's more lucrative for me to do this. That might happen. Uh, this is another bit where the UFC's kind of market tactics are starting. You see why they do what they do? There's not really many draws in MMA. I'm not saying none, but there's not a lot. You've got Connor, theoretically, who can draw money. Who else in the UFC is a legitimate draw? Maybe Nate... Should be Nate Diaz. Let me say should. Nate Diaz should still be a bit of a draw. You got Masvidal dealing with his legal issues. But you don't have a bit... The UFC is very kind of careful about how they do this. They don't want any fighters to be bigger than the brand. For 
obvious reasons. And they've kind of succeeded in depressing the individual star power. I mean, pick anyone you want from the UFC that's not, say, Connor or Nate. Even other fairly high-profile guys. Take Dustin Poirier. Put Dustin Poirier in the PFL, and do you think that Dustin Poirier versus whoever is going to draw, is going to sell 100,000 pay-per-views? This is one of the other things about it. Whoever goes over to, to test these waters, you need a dance partner. And much as I... Uh, much as there are guys in the PFL doing good work, you don't have a lot of them that have a lot of name value. And that's and that's just kind of reality. So whoever's going to do this to make it really worth everyone's while, you need not just one name, you actually need two. Because you're not going to sell 100,000 pay-per-views with Anthony, uh, with Dustin Poirier and Anthony Pettis. Not in 2022. 2023. I don't even think you'd do that with Nate Diaz and Anthony Pettis. You might. But it would be a little bit surprising. So the PFL needs to find... They need to drastically kind of strengthen their roster if they're going to really make this work. So that... They need to pay attention to that. As I mentioned, I applaud the effort. I hope the fighters are able to make this work to their benefit. This might open up some co-promotion opportunities with, because the UFC will never do this, but that might tempt Cyborg into saying, yeah, sure, you know, if I can make this work with Scott Coker, you know, if you if you do Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison, you need, you still need more. Again, if you look at 100,000 as kind of the break-even point, you're still going to need more than just Cyborg and Kayla. But that's a really good start. So, that's kind of the hurdles that I think they're looking at, and I wish them the best of luck. I've been enjoying the current season of the PFL. They've got a pretty good broadcast deal. Again, they're on ESPN. They're... They've been putting out a good product. They've had really good fights this year. And that Clay Collard and Jeremy Stevens fight was really good. So. Yeah. Uh, so that was that particular bit of news. That's everything I've got. Let's check Twitter. See if anything crazy has happened. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nope. Nothing there. All right. Plugs. No podcast for me this week. Uh, the the Damn You Hollywood will be for the new Downton Abbey movie. Uh, it will be Mark Radlich and David Wright reviewing that one. Uh, I am not a part of that. And I'll be back the week after for... Oh, uh, is that Top Gun? Be the 31st. No? That is odd. Stuff got moved around. Yeah, we got... Yeah, our Maverick review got bumped to like the 7th of June. So there's that. Uh, alright. Yeah, the, uh... Sorry, the schedule shifts a fair bit. Last week there was a Damn You Hollywood for Firestarter. The latest adaptation of the Stephen King novel. Uh, myself and Mark talked about it. Not a lot to talk about. It's not much of a movie. Uh, let's see... Yeah, that's it for this week as far as podcasts go. I will be doing my usual spate of coverage, however. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday. Uh, last week I covered all that, plus AEW's Dynamite. Uh, the usual Dynamite guy was off, and I don't mind filling in on occasion. And, yeah, no UFC event on Saturday, so just pro wrestling this week. If you're interested, that will be in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com. So, again, if that interests you at all, please do stop by, say hello, I appreciate it.
And on that note, yep, going to be right about an hour. All right. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back here next week to preview the next UFC event. Until then, thank you as always. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.